Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk about our membership program. Uh, we recently broke a pretty big milestone. We have over 100 startups and small businesses on the platform offering up to 50% off all their product and gear. If you're like me and you're always looking for a new uh, backpack or new gear for your addictions, whether it's skiing, snowboarding, camping, surfing, whatever it is related to the outdoors, you can hop onto this membership and peruse all of the brands. We're constantly adding new ones um, to really support all of your outdoor activities. We also have a number of travel companies. So if you're looking to take a trip, whether it's to Machu Picchu, South America, wherever, um, you can save on that as well. We also have a number of food brands, whether you need a new energy bar or you just need to, f- you want to find something uh, that's different and check it out. You can f- save while doing it. Um, you can also apply to become an ambassador for a lot of these brands. There's a ton of perks. So if you are interested in checking this out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members and get your first month free. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Savile here, your host. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with two of the founders of Odd, Andrew Wheatley and Tim Sherry. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Now, okay, so Odd, uh, which stands for Oregon Design and Developed. What, what do you guys do and how did you guys come up with the idea for Odd? Yeah, so uh, what do we do? We're a, a bag company, I guess accessories if you want to put into that category. Um, we came up with the idea for Odd during school. Uh, the three founders, Tim, myself, and the shorter member of our crew, Dana, uh, she couldn't be here tonight. Uh, we're in school together, and we were tasked with building a brand and product, um, and we thought it was really viable. By the end of our school together, we kind of um, – Decided us three worked really well together and shot off into Indiegogo campaign uh, hustle and all that jazz. That's awesome. So, did you guys? So, you guys met in grad school. Um, clearly, you grew up in different places, but that's where you met. Did you? Did the three? Did the two of you always know that you wanted to go the entrepreneurial route? Uh, for me, uh, I have a bit of an entrepreneur bug from, uh, from my dad. He's been a small business owner for most of my life. And so I've just kind of been around that community and been attracted to uh, that kind of hardworking lifestyle and being your own boss sort of thing. So I wouldn't say I was necessarily, like, necessarily uh, planning on doing it, but I might be a little predisposed to it. And yeah, and for me, I just don't really like working for someone. So <laughs> I get that. <laughs> Some bosses, I do like my, you know, my boss. But yeah. Um, okay, so tell tell me a little bit about your backgrounds. Where did you guys grow up? Um, what sort of um, hobbies do you guys have? Like, what what really drives you two as individuals? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Michigan. Um, I have a background in engineering. Um, dabbled in sustainability and sustainable design and realized like my career wasn't going the way I wanted to a lot of heavy automotive and that's what made me move out west luckily my girlfriend uh, had the chance to move out here as well Um, but as far as outdoor product I think 
you know, my parents will probably uh, continue to tell me this until the day I die that I always talked about wanting to to design that type of stuff from snowboards, bikes, all that uh, from a young age, but never really knew how to get that as a career path. Um, and luckily, like moving out here, that's kind of the industry. Um, but I grew up, you know, fishing, snowboarding, mountain biking and all that. And then out here, it just only grew from there. So my garage is even more full with more toys. Yeah, and I grew up in San Luis Obispo, California, which just has a big outdoor culture in terms of like running and cycling. So I kind of just grew up doing that, doing that stuff and being outside, going camping with my parents uh, in the in, in the sequoias every summer. Uh, my background is actually in geology, which uh, being predisposed to the outdoors definitely fed into that. Getting to like hike around and look at rocks. And kind of nerd out that way. So uh, I actually have a master's in geology, and I was living in Houston, Texas, working oil and gas, which uh, the science I was doing was very fun. But uh, if you're into the outdoors, Houston can be a little soul crushing. So I really wanted to come back out to the West Coast and uh, found myself in Portland. Not a bad place to be. I've considered moving there a few times. I just got to convince my girlfriend to come with me. <laughs> um, okay, so clearly you guys have a drive. Um, being being in the outdoors, it's it's just part of who you guys are. Um, and you had this idea for Odd, creating this interchangeable backpack system. What was the process like in really developing and prototyping um, the backpacks? Um, you know, we were talking offline, you guys said you, you originally started in 2015. What, what was that process like up to the launch of your, your, your Indiegogo campaign? Yeah, we did, uh, quite a bit of designing and development in school and attempting to sew packs ourselves. But, uh, Andrew actually had a pretty unique opportunity to go and intern and live at the factory where the packs are made. So I'm going to let him answer most of that question yeah so uh as far as the internship goes our school kind of set us up with uh really awesome internships whether it was uh domestic or abroad and i lucked out and got to head to the philippines to a factory called dong in they um make all the major outdoor brand backpacks gregory patagonia arcteryx camelback so these guys really know what they're doing um and we we had an in with uh one of the founders and they basically just let me have the keys of the shop for four months. And I'm sure I probably caused a bunch of delays in production and whatnot, but I had a lot of fun making a bunch of random backpacks. Um, as far as the idea behind the backpack goes, um, you know, out in Portland, we had all been living here for over, you know, at least over a year by the time we had uh, really dug down into the idea behind our bag and what we wanted. And everyone out here kind of lives this weird dual life. Um, where during the week, everyone's, you know, bike commuting, that hipster weird lifestyle in a coffee shop, whatnot, and they need, uh, you know, a certain set of materials. And then the moment Friday hits, it's like you dr dropped into a different city and there's no one here and they're all out in the woods and then they're a wholly different person. So the idea was just trying to chase that idea of fitting a product that or finding a product that fit those people. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a great idea, especially considering how expensive an ice backpack is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and for me, like living in New York and being a very active person, like none of my friends, city friends, they don't talk to me on the weekends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm always out somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And having a couple backpacks to sort of complement the different things that I'm doing, it just makes so much sense. And I'm, it's like kind of crazy that like no one's done this before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I had been living in a pretty small apartment when I moved here. It was like 600 square feet and I had about a four by six storage locker with all my stuff in it. And so by like maybe month three or four of living there, I had boiled down the things I needed to like disappear on the weekend without having to open up that terribly full closet uh, very often. And so then the backpacking was like, wait, I don't have to have six backpacks in my closet. It was I don't know. It just kind of fell into our lap. Yeah. And for me, I actually used our hiking backpack as kind of my climbing gym gear bag. So I'll just have it pre-packed with uh, like my rope, harness, shoes, chalk bag. And then when it comes time to go to the gym after work, I don't need to like unpack my work commuter backpack that has, you know, my lunch and clothes, all that stuff. And then like repack everything in. I can just swap it and then hit the gym. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier for sure. Now, yeah. when you guys were developing the product, where did you run into any um, any barriers that sort of made the system a little bit more challenging that were sort of um, frustrating to overcome? Yeah, I think um, from a development side of it, I had a lot of grand uh, aspirations going in. Um, and I think it boiled down to figuring out what we really wanted in the bag. Uh, for example, the hit pack thing. I remember that being a, a point of contention in the team, whether we wanted to have a consistent hit pack on the frame itself, uh, where you always have like a hit belt, or you want it on the bag. And so what we found out was actually easier to develop it on the bag, and it worked better because you had more functionality between each, um, each different style. Uh, and then also the suspended mesh was quite strange. So like I hadn't had a background in that. Most bags are cut and sew, put some foam and some spacer mesh over a back panel. Whereas this has to use, uh, obviously like, a something to keep tension. And so working with the factory and being able to, you know, the F Filipino people are like pretty fluent in English, but, uh, not a hundred percent. So trying to distill my ideas down while being there to get it to be perfect the way I wanted it took quite a while. I bet it did. Now, okay, so you guys work with a, a third-party manufacturer in the Philippines, and being there is definitely helpful in sort of like understanding and making sure that the packs are made in a sustainable manner. So how, how do you guys stay on top of that and keep that as a, uh, as a priority? Yeah, so I, kind of my philosophy is the longer you can make a product last, the more sustainable it is. Uh, just keeping things out of the landfill in general. Uh, but kind of on a material side of things, and Andrew can talk to this more, uh, we initially were using leftover and scrap fabric that the factory had. And kind of a dirty secret of the sports industry, um, I don't know how prevalent in gear it is. I know for footwear, this is a big problem where like with leftover fabric, factories will either burn or bury it. Uh, 
And so it's uh, very bad for the environment. And so we were able to like save this fabric from uh, being destroyed by getting our backpacks made. I don't know if you want to elaborate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think Tim yeah. hit on the you know the main point, um, just from like schooling and whatnot uh, for sustainability. It always comes down to the denominators always uh, days used or hours used, right? Like no matter what you're putting into it, it's going to cost energy and materials. And so the longer you can keep something in use, I think Patagonia has been pushing this idea for quite a while with their Warnware campaign. Um, and just being realistic with what you can do with uh, the standard of outdoor gear when people expect a certain level of quality when it comes to material, um, but then they also expect some sustainability trying to meet them in the middle there, I think is a good, um, option if that makes sense, instead of going full out with some really recyclable material that may not stand up and will end up being just as bad. Definitely. It forces you to really think through the whole process. Um, okay. So you guys are, are still a pretty young company with odd. The three of you still have full-time jobs. What is sort of that dynamic like in working, you know, full time and then building odd at night? If we're gonna be yeah. honest, it's extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just described it: working uh, during the day at our jobs, and then you know, getting home. And uh, well, during my like lunch break, I can answer emails uh, when they come in. Um, but yeah, like kind of re- responding to things when when I get home. Uh, prepping packs to ship at night and uh, really with post office hours I can only ship on the weekends so just like getting stuff ready so my first stop Saturday is at the post office I have a lot more respect for people that do stuff after work outside of their jobs after this yeah you know it, it, it you make you realize I don't know how people do it with kids that's the one that always gets me yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying like people who have a full-time gig have kids and then are starting a business. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think they sleep. I don't think they sleep. I, I, I guess. Do. I guess they don't sleep because I don't understand how else how else you do it. Because like when we started Ready Yeti, it was the same deal. You know, I mean, full time job, working at night, and then eventually as things grew, you know, it made a lot. It like now I'm full time, which is great. Um, but that grind, it's just sort of like a badge of uh, honor and like camaraderie that you have with other entrepreneurs who've been through it. You know what I mean? Like the the trough of despair, however you want to describe it. Yeah, yeah definitely agree with that. Um, I'm really bad at like networking events and they just like suck energy out of me. But whenever I go to like an entrepreneur specific one, like it's the exact opposite. I'm just filled with energy. I think it's because everyone has that shared experience of just roughing it every day. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of hardship <laughs> what's been the hardest part about starting and building odd uh i think probably the hardest thing uh is that we messed up our lead times yeah um we had to do like a, a last minute um like design review with the factory again to like make sure everything was ready to go and that added I yeah don't know, how many months did that add like two months to yeah, it? minimum but we d- ended up fulfilling way later than we had promised. And just that lag time, we did not anticipate. 
And I think that really sucked on our morale. <laughs> now, now, of course, I do that for full-time job. I do product development. And uh, like that's my life now is product timelines. And I think back to how we did it and like not placing a PO in the right time. And most uh, production lead times are three months, um, not including it sitting on a boat for three weeks. It's like, man, what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah. And you'll see established brands who are using crowdfunding do this. If you like do the math on their lead times, they've already placed the order with the factory by the time they launch. And I think if we had gotten some upfront investment, we could have also done that. So then like a month after the campaign closes, we're fulfilling orders rather than, you know, six, seven months down the line. Yeah, I know Cotapaxi does that with like a lot of their recent campaigns because their lead time is like nothing when you look at the, yeah. so the delivery date. And they, they obviously can do it because they're large enough and have the success and like have past campaigns. And be like, all right, this is what we think we're going to be able to generate from this campaign. Mm-hmm. I think they're just covering their uh, their credit line basically at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole other thing. Like, I have such respect for businesses that make a product because it just adds a whole nother layer of complexity and um, just steps and detail that I wouldn't want to have to deal with. <laughs> you know what I mean? And make you make you yeah, sure that it's yeah, delivered. Inventory like, I, management. Exactly. Like I couldn't ima- like all everything we do is digital. So like I just kudos to you guys <laughs> for being able to handle that. Get in the basement right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the boxes. To yeah. Ship them in. Yeah. So what what are your greatest fears in regards to Odd and how do you guys manage them? Oh man. Uh oh, that's, that's I, I wouldn't say fears, but more general anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> that is just <laughs> always there. Yeah. Um I feel like just letting letting these guys down or like, you know, a lot of your friends pitched in money for this and if you can't get to a certain point, it's like now i don't know you got to save face right like it, that that's my biggest thing is like seeing my friends afterwards from home that are like oh wow you started a backpack company uh that's cool man and then if it doesn't get to a point where i can feel proud of it obviously it is to this degree but you know what i'm saying yeah i definitely agree with andrew like social acceptance yeah, I mean it's a, it's a hard thing like taking that leap because there's so many different ways to feel failure, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean so there's many ways. Yeah, I guess uh, to kind of boil boil back to your question, um, yeah, the scariest moment was clicking launch on the Indiegogo campaign. Yeah, like, was I was shaking like when we clicked that button because then it was out there in the world and and our friends and family knew it was knew it was coming and we had friends who were like lined up ready to log on right at 9 a.m. and uh, buy and support us right away. But still, it's like putting this thing out there into the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was exciting when you started to get those first few orders that were from people that you didn't know <laughs> through a friend yeah. or some some capacity where it's just like, oh, my God, strangers like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, everyone that came in, like, do you know? Yeah, yeah, it was basically Tyler or, or whatever. Yeah. Like, right, guy? right, right. Well, none of us. Know we don't him. know him. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so, what what advice would you give to someone that um, wanted to start a business in the outdoor space, or really just a business in general? Oh man, I, I think my biggest would be uh, uh, on the networking side of thing. 
things and finding a group of people who have that shared experience because whatever you're going through with the business, someone else has been there before and can give you advice on it or tell you how they got through it. Um, also, they, if they can't tell you that, they can probably introduce you to someone who has. And I think just like finding that uh, entrepreneur support network is really crucial. Yeah, we, we have a lot of great resources here as far as startups in Portland, which is great. I think for me, uh, advice would be a roadmap and timeline. I think that we were a little naive on like how complex uh, timeline and like launching stuff is. And I wish we had had more. We did a pretty good job, but we could have done more as far as like rollout and whatnot. Yeah. What's the best part about running Odd? This is going to sound super cliche, but I will get messages from people who have bought the pack saying they love it. And every time I get that, it's just like a little fist bump in the air. Like, yes. Yeah. As long as that's not my mom, because she tells me she loves it every day. But <laughs> That's mom's job. I love you, mom. It's your birthday today, so I can't be mad at you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I agree with him. Anytime my friends are like, this thing's sick, dude. You know, it, it makes me happy. Definitely. I, I totally know how you feel. Um, so for the listener that wants to keep tabs on everything that you guys have going on, um, going forward with Odd, where, where's the best place for them to do that? So on Instagram, we're, we're still under the handle uh, at Oddlot Labs. Um, and our website is uh, oddlotlabs.com. Feel free to check us out, sign up for the email list. Yeah, I uh, think we, staying on the email list is probably the best way to We do to not follow. spam. Making an email to send to everyone is really a lot of work. So fails <laughs> 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 to ride. <laughs> we only send the important stuff. Love yeah, it. they're on Instagram. Love it. Um, and we'll include all that stuff in the show notes. And, and for the listener that's listening to this between July 10th and August 7th, you can actually enter to win um, a pack system from from Odd, along with a ton of other gear um, from another a number of other startups. You can just head to RedYeti.com and you'll uh, see it right there on the homepage. And uh, you know, with that, um, Tim and Andrew, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, share the story of Odd and everything that you guys have been through up to this point, and you know what's in store for the future. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for coming on, and I, and I really loved hearing the story. Yeah, thanks for having us, Josh. Yeah, thank you, man. It's been awesome. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.